The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Looking for the latest on the A's minor leagues? One of the latest additions to A's Cast is The Farm. A look around the minor leagues with interviews, updates, and profiles on the future A's tearing up the minors. Welcome to our A's Farm podcast. I'm your host, AthleticsFarm.com Editor-in-Chief Bill Moriarty. And today, we're going to be talking with the A's Director of Player Development, Ed Sprague. During this rather unusual season, he's been busy running the A's alternate camp down in San Jose, where many of the A's top prospects have been spending the summer. And with no actual minor league games on tap this year, we wanted to be sure to talk with Sprague and get his insights on some of the A's top prospects. Hey, thanks for joining me today, Ed. My pleasure, Bill. So, you know, it's been such an unusual, such an interesting year. I'm sure when the year started, you really weren't imagining that you'd be spending your summer in San Jose, were you? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not how quite things were going to go, I don't think. <laughs> so you're running the camp there, the A's alternate camp in San Jose at the old San Jose Municipal Stadium. Can you just tell us a little bit about what a typical day is like over there? When are you, you guys showing up? What are you doing every day? Are you, are you trying to play intra-squad games every day? Just give us a little sense about you know, what an average day is like over there. Uh, yeah, I mean, the coaching staff usually gets to the ballpark you know, somewhere between 7.30 and 8.00. Uh, depending on the day, you know, we have to have our temperature taken every day. And then, uh, we have testing every other day for tier one and then testing every fourth day for tier two. So that takes a little bit of time. And then the players kind of come in in, in groups, uh, you know, be just because we can't really socially distance a ton given the locker room space. Uh, we have made use of both locker rooms and the concourse to kind of spread out. But, um, so the day's kind of a rolling schedule of, you know, catchers, infielders, uh, outfielders, sometimes it's younger guys, older guys, um, you know, they, they go through their, you know, normal day of, you know, basically cage work and defense and then batting practice. And then, uh, and then we usually have lunch at some point. And then afterwards we'll have some sort of, uh, inner squad game, depending on, um, what pitching we have available that day. And it could be, uh, two and a half innings. It could be, you know, three innings. Today we actually had seven was our longest game we've had since we've been here. Wow. Uh, we had seven innings. So that's kind of the typical day. And then some guys will stay afterwards and, and get a little extra work, whether it's in the cage or on the field. Uh, but that's kind of a typical day. I'm sure all that testing that you have to do definitely <laughs> slows things down a bit. But I, I imagine, has everyone been healthy there? You haven't had any problems, right? Yeah, I mean, it's been great. We had a couple of guys uh test positive on the intake testing way back in in july and they've since been cleared and so uh, knock on wood we've been very fortunate we haven't had anybody test positive since well that's great that's for sure we you know it's interesting because most of the guys that were invited to the the alternate camp there were obviously guys that the front office thought could potentially be of use to the major league club 
during the course of the season if there were injuries or or whatever. But there were also some some really young guys that got invited in too, and particularly there are three really really young guys. Uh, your first round draft pick this year, catcher Tyler Soderstrom, also shortstop Robert Palsam, and then uh, outfielder Brian Buelvis. They're all three still teenagers who were invited in. So can you talk a little bit about the thinking and the decision to bring those young guys into this camp? And also, uh, I'm curious to know your impressions of, of what you've seen out of them there. Yeah, well, it's been it's been a unique camp. Obviously, we have uh, Eric Campbell, who's 33, and Carlos Perez, who's 30. So we have a group of older guys, uh, you know, typical AAA, big league type guys. Uh, and then we have, you know, the the younger kids and then a, kind of a mix in between. So it's been it's been really good. And, you know, obviously, in a perfect world, you'd like to have uh, these guys get a full season or at least a half season of at-bats. Uh, but I, I think it's been a great situation and very unique in terms of having these younger guys being around these older veteran guys, which never typically happens in a regular minor league season. Uh, and I think the lessons they've learned and watching these guys go about their business and how they perform and how they go through the routines uh, has been invaluable. I really think, you know, as much as you'd like to have these younger guys get, you know, 150, 200, 300 bats in the minor league season, I think this for these guys is going to be a group. They're going to look back and think this is one of the probably the best experiences and, probably a big, uh, you know, platform for them to, to move up even faster. Well, I know certainly. Uh, as far as the young, the, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 I was just going to ask you, uh, you know, I was going to say you probably, you know, wouldn't have had a chance to get your eyes on these young guys quite so much as you are now every day. So I'm curious to know what you've seen out of them. Yeah, they've been great. I mean, they really have. I mean, Tyler Schottestrom came in right out of the gate and, and you know, we knew that he, he was a plus bat coming out of the draft and, and has shown every bit of that. He's very advanced um, with the bat and probably the the best bat that I've seen us take since I've been here my short five years in, in Oakland in terms of strike zone discipline and power to young age. And um, he's been really impressive offensively uh, and defensively. You know, I only got a chance to watch a little video going into the draft and that was from last summer. So he's farther along behind the plate than I was expecting. Uh, still, you know, still long ways to go in terms of, you know, refining the position, but uh, he's, he's done very well and, and he's impressed the older guys and, you know, he's got the nickname of kid and uh, everybody's been really, you know, he's fit right in. It's been great. And, uh, Buelbus and Poisson have been the same. I mean, you know, these guys have, you know, Buelbus played last summer and obviously was very impressive in the AZL uh, and put up some numbers. He's kind of, you know, taken to the next step and just keep grinding. And then, uh, you know, Poisson has never even really had a pro at bat if you talk about right. like a regular season. So um, we've been fortunate, you know, he's been fortunate to have Bobby Crosby here working with him on a daily basis and he's drilled out very well. He looks really good. You know, the game's still a little fast for him, but he just hasn't really played in a ton of games, you know, and now he's facing guys that exit velocities are, you know, at double-A, triple-A, major league type level, and so that's a, a little bit of a faster pace than, than maybe he's ever seen before, but he's held his own, and um, he battles at the plate, and uh, they're, they're doing just fine. Uh, everybody's been very impressed with their work ethic and how they handle themselves, and their their English is coming along very good and just all about them. They're, they're they're great kids. They play with a smile on their face. They show up every day ready to rock and roll. And uh, I just think that we've been very fortunate to the veteran players that we've had, like I said before, and and, and Campbell and Perez and Nate Orff. I and mean, these guys have been 
true pros and, and have taken these guys under their wings and um, teaching them. And it's been, it's been having like three or four extra coaches around. They've just been phenomenal. Yeah, well, that's definitely one great thing. I mean, they've probably had a chance to get a lot more personal one-on-one instruction, both from coaches and fellow players, than they would have if they were out there having to to play games in a league. There's probably a lot of refinement that's going on, uh, thanks to some of that instruction, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the format is very similar to an instruction league situation, but you add in, you know, older players or, you know, guys that have been in AA, AAA, and even the big leagues, you know, Sky Bolt and you know, uh, Seth Brown before he, he got called back up and, you know, like I said, Eric's got some big league time. Perez has got some big league time. So it's been, or has got, I think some big league time. So it's just been nice. You just don't ever have this type of situation ever in a typical season. And from a younger player's development standpoint, I think it's, it's been fantastic. Now, like I mentioned, you, most of the guys that were brought into camp were really intended to be there in case the big league team needed help. And then you brought in a few of these younger guys as well. But there were a couple of younger guys in your system. Probably the most significant names that were not invited in were outfielders Austin Beck and Lazaro Armenteros. Can you talk a little bit about the thinking and the decision-making behind which younger guys you wanted to invite into camp and maybe which ones didn't end up getting extended invitations this summer? It really just came down to numbers. I mean, we would have loved to have those guys here. Uh, you know, they're obviously very valuable pieces to our system, but we were just limited on the number of young guys we could have. And, uh, you know, we, a lot of the older guys were outfielders, um, you know, so that's probably the case and what happened with, you know, leaving those guys off because we needed to have some semblance of a situation where we could take, you know, inter-squad games, stuff like that. But mm-hmm. it really just came down to sheer numbers, you know, making sure that there was a, enough of a, uh, pile of players that could help the big league club if something were to happen through injuries or positive testing. Uh, and then we just wanted a number of guys that, uh, that have been in the system that have had some success, but we, we needed to get them some more bats, you know, and the Davidson really only had a half a year and Nick Allen had an injury last year. We definitely wanted to get Soderstrom involved, um, you know, Poisson and Wolves only played half seasons or not at all. So that was just kind of, at the end of the day, it came down to we would have loved it if it was 65 players. <laughs> all those guys would have been there, you know. And if it was 62, they probably would have next on the list. And that's what it just really came down to is strictly numbers. Yeah, well, and baseball it always ends up being a numbers game one way or another. So, <laughs> now, you mentioned a couple yeah. guys there I wanted to ask you about. You know, the A's are fortunately sort of blessed to have a number of talented shortstops in the system at this point. We obviously talked about Robert Poisson but also Nick Allen and Logan Davidson. And, you know, it was going to be kind of a important years for both of them. You know, Nick Allen has always been known as a defensive standout, but he really made big strides with the bat last year. And, and this could have been a big year for him playing and really getting himself closer to the majors. And then Logan Davidson was your top draft pick last year and this would have been his first full season in pro ball so you know they're both intriguing prospects can you talk a little bit about what you've been able to see out of them in in that environment down there yeah we you've definitely seen uh an uptick in in the offensive side of both of them you know logan started slow uh in vermont last year and then was able to kind of turn things around finish good and went to instruction league made some changes you know, really came on uh, in minicamp and was playing well. Uh, Nick, same way. Nick, you know, he obviously missed him at bats, played in the fall league, struggled a little bit, but worked on his game and came back. He's really swung the bat extremely well. Both guys are really good defenders. They're 
different type of defenders, you know, I mean, one's a six foot three lanky guy and Nick's a, you know, five foot eight. And <laughs> it, they, they both are very clean at short, uh, but it's just a different look for either one of them. So um, it's nice to have that uniqueness in both of them, but they both, really, they both made, you know, tremendous strides. I think in, in all aspects of their game, like I said, I think having, you know, former rookie of the year and Bobby Crosby working with him every day has, has been great. And he's out there every morning at nine o'clock or before then. And they have, you know, one-on-one with Bobby on a daily basis. So it's been, been nice. Now uh, there's also a couple of outfielders there that, that I was interested in Greg Dykeman and Luis Barrera. You know, these are a couple of guys who probably this year, you know, might've got a chance to get some time at AAA and maybe just be one step away from making that big breakthrough to the majors, but they're down there in camp. Can you tell me what kind of progress you've seen out of those guys and where you feel they're at at this point? Yeah, I mean, Dyke obviously, you know, jumped another level when he had a great fall league. Um, you know, he had battled some injuries his first few years with us, finally got some consistent at-bats and really kind of showed off the power. I think he hit nine or ten home runs in the fall league, maybe 11. I'm not exactly sure. But uh, he's played really well and got a chance to showcase himself a little bit in big league camp. Uh, Barrera, obviously, on the roster, same thing. You know, really turned a corner but hurt his shoulder a little bit last year. And, uh, both guys have played extremely well. Uh, I think Barrera's hitting over 400 uh, down here in, in our uh, alt-site situation. You know, he's a slasher, uses the whole field, can really run, kind of a game-changer with his legs in terms of that. I think power to, power's going to come uh, down the road, you know, so he's kind of still figuring out the pull-side backspin situation. But he's plays a good outfield. Both of them are good outfielders. Dykeman's got a – you know, he's a – plus arm out there and and his power is 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 real so it's been fun to watch both those guys i think they've kind of uh picked up on where they left off last year in terms of the the, making the strides and and getting it to the next level and i'm with you i think you know normal situation uh over the course of 162 games with you know possibly injuries and and different things that happen i think you'd probably have maybe had a chance to see uh one or two of these guys uh not only just triple a but maybe have a chance to, to to impact oakland yeah, for sure. One other uh, outfielder down there I wanted to ask you about is a guy you got from San Diego in the Jurickson and Profar trade, and that's Buddy Reed. I know it seems like there's a lot of people in the A's front office that, that really like him, and he's down there in this camp. So tell us what you've seen out of him down there. Yeah, I mean, just superb athlete, can really run, uh, defends it amazingly in the outfield, probably a seven-plus arm defensively. Uh, switch hitter is not, you know, he's probably performed better from the right side uh, traditionally in his, in his, you know, the years he's been playing um, left side. He's been, he's been grinding, working hard. He's, he's really started to swing the bat better and better each day from the left side. He's not getting a ton of right-handed at bats because we only have one left-handed pitcher and Lucas Lutke in terms of live AB. So, but he's working hard. I think he's made, a lot of improvements since the time I saw him briefly in spring training uh, and just really getting a, a chance to know the kid down here. He's, he's a high energy kid. He's lovable. He comes with a smile on his face. He brings a ton of energy and he's just excited to be a part of uh, the Oakland A's. And, and like you said, he works at it every day. So he's been, he's been fun to get to know. 
Well, I wanted to ask you about a couple pitchers as well, starting with James Caprillion. We all know everything he's been through, all the injury issues, how much time he, he was off. And, you know, he was able to get up and at least dip his toe in the major league waters this year. How important do you think it was for him to get his, his shot to actually be in the major leagues, especially after everything he's been through? And what set him apart that made him be the arm that the A's wanted to bring up when they, when they had a hole to fill uh, at the major league level? Yeah, I think one thing is, you know, outside of James and his family, I don't think anybody was more excited than uh, the coaches, the medical staff, everybody that worked so hard to get him back on track. And when that call finally came, uh, it was pretty special to give him the news that he was going up. And even though he got up there that first time and didn't get in the game and he came back down. And uh, But I think, you know, to your point is, is just the uptick in velocity. Um, you know, he had obviously coming out as an amateur through extremely hard, had to kind of reinvent himself a little bit and was kind of 92, 93 last year, just getting out, you know, for the first time in a few years. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the velocity seemed to just uptick and everything plays off of that. I mean, his changeup is good and, uh, you know, sliders plus at times and, you know, just continuing to get a feel for that. And added a little bit of a two seamer here in the alt site camp and he kind of liked that. And he started to play around with that a little bit, but, uh, he was just having a really good camp, you know, and I think with the the power arm and, um, you know, he got a chance to come in and basically kind of, you know, made him a more of a reliever role when they, you know, when he was playing, pitching really good down here and an opportunity to help, help the big league club in an impact situation right away. So we were all excited for him and he just got better from day one um, at the alt site. And it was extremely exciting. I think happy for everybody that, that he got an opportunity. Now, a couple of other uh, pitchers you've got down there who are interesting are Dalton Jeffries and Grant Holmes. Now, under normal circumstances, those two guys probably would have been pitching in the uh, AAA rotation this year along with Caprillion, and uh, instead they've had to be working out there at that alternate camp and trying to make progress the best they can there. So can you tell us a little bit about what you've seen out of them and where you feel Dalton Jeffries and Grant Holmes are both at at this stage of the game? Yeah, I mean, Dalton, have, he had a little bit of injury coming out of spring training that set him back, but, you know, the break kind of did him some good, and he hit the ground running when he, when he got to San Jose and has, you know, arguably been our best guy in terms of command. Uh, his changeup is obviously a plus pitch. Uh, could throw it at any time in any count. Uh, his cutter's come along. I think the slider is still, you know, kind of a work in progress, but I have no doubt that – you know, he can be a, a two-pitch guy right now, especially if they want to use another pen. We're slowly building him back up to get to, you know, four or five innings and his pitch count up. But he's been a great worker. He hasn't missed a beat. Um, it's been nice. Uh, Holmesy, you know, Holmesy's kind of getting better and better working at it. I feel like he's uh, got a little better deception than he's had in the past. His breaking ball has really improved. He's got a, he's getting a ton of swing and misses with his curveball. Um, he busted out a two seamer day that I hadn't seen. He doesn't throw it a whole lot, but it was extremely good. And he might start adding that a little bit more in his repertoire. Uh, but his velos is holding steady and, and all those guys have answered the bell every time they get the ball, uh, every fifth day in terms of, uh, of going out and, and throwing strikes and filling it up and competing. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, I was really looking forward to seeing them pitching in AAA this year and seeing what they could do there. But it's good to know they're making progress one way or another. Now, what about other guys in the system who aren't there in the camp? You know, are you guys keeping in touch with them? Are you keeping tabs on what they're up to this offseason? What about all these other guys who who aren't actually there in San Jose? 
Yeah, I mean, we have you know we have a phone tree. I mean, Gil Patterson, you know, pitching coordinators in contact with our our pitchers uh, almost on a daily basis, um, and you know they're reporting back to him what they've been able to do, whether it's you know play catch, throw off a mound, throw to live hitters. Everybody's situation is a little bit unique depending on where they're living and and <laughs> what's around, and, and you know obviously early on it was a little bit more challenging. Um, and then, you know, we have a phone tree between Jim Eppert and a lot of our other coaches keeping in touch with these guys, these hitters and these defenders. And then, of course, our medical and strength and conditioning uh, are in contact with these guys uh, on a, you know, biweekly basis. So these guys are hearing from us uh, quite a bit or our coaching staff or medical staff, strength and conditioning, you know, probably, you know, more often than even want to. But, you know, we're keeping as much tabs on them as, as, as possible and, and making sure that, you know, we're trying to get these guys, the pitchers, at least simulated innings, uh, at least 75% of what they were last year. So as we move into next year, um, you know, they won't be able to be, you know, held back too much. And so I think that's probably the biggest thing is, is trying to at least simulate as many innings as they can to get them to where they were the year before. Yeah, it's such an unusual year. You really had to, I'm sure, develop new systems of uh, keeping in contact with guys and, and figuring out what's going on. Okay, before we wrap up, I just want to ask you, uh, it's been such an unusual year, but we're also going to have kind of an unusual year next year, next season, because there's a lot of a lot of adaptation that's going to have to happen. First of all, as we know, there's talk that the minor leagues will probably be contracted next year, and every team's going to have fewer affiliates, which means every team's going to have fewer minor league players in their systems. I mean, have you given much thought at all yet under these unusual circumstances to kind of like the landscape of next season and, and the things you're going to have to think about and, and how you may have to operate in a different minor league system with fewer affiliates? affiliates and fewer players in the system? Yeah, I mean, we, we've thought about it. I mean, I don't think we've really scripted anything out. We're just kind of waiting for, you know, official word on how this is all going to play out. And, and then, of course, uh, you know, David and Billy got to work with ownership and see where we are in a, in a you know budget situation and how it all plays out. And like I said, there's a lot of speculation on how it's going to go and nobody really knows for sure. So, um, you know, we, we give it a little bit of a framework, but nothing too much in stone in terms of how things will go forward. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll just have to, you know, be prepared when that time comes and, and, and whatever MLB lays out as the framework, we'll, uh, we'll be prepared to uh, adapt. Well, hopefully they can sort it out before too long. So you guys, you guys have a little more wiggle room to adapt anyway. <laughs> um, and, then, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then the other interesting kind of unusual question next year is, you know, with all these players missing time playing games this year, actual in-game development, but they're still accruing service time. You know, they're a year closer to being minor league free agents and being eligible for rule five and all that stuff. So, when it comes to next season and, and placing players at different levels, are you guys going to have to be maybe a little more aggressive? Could there be players who perhaps entirely just skip over an entire level that they might have played at this year if there were games? Or have you given much thought to that sort of thing for next year? Yeah, I mean, we have. I mean, like, you don't know how it's going to go. I mean, you know, typically is, is everybody who was in, you know, high A, do they just kind of end up going to double A and, you know, and next year they're competing against other teams that were also maybe high a players so it'd be interesting to see how the the industry handles it right uh as well as ourselves and and you know you obviously don't like to miss a high a season because i kind of preps you for double a where the the rubber kind of hits the road a little bit but when you're talking about numbers and and moving guys through systems and and you know getting places for everybody to play and develop 
you, you kind of have to look at it uh, and we'll kind of see how that plays out. But I think there's certainly in certain situations, there could be a possibility where guys who maybe were supposed to be in high last year end up going to right to double A, you know, I right. mean, just who knows how it's going to play out. And, um, you know, it just could be the rub of the green in terms of that, but we might, like I said, you might see that industry wide as well. Uh, and so you're not overly concerned with, you know, someone being overmatched, like going right to double A, who never really played high A if, you know, other teams are in the same situation as, as we would be. So right. we'll have to kind of see how it plays out and maybe get a feel for uh, how the industry is going to handle it. Yeah, I'm kind of getting the feeling a lot of organizations might end up being pretty aggressive with those <laughs> assignments next year. But if everyone is, then everyone will kind of be on the same level anyway. So it's great uh, talking to you today. I'm, I'm so glad you were able to take time to talk with us because, you know, unlike normal seasons, we don't have regular minor league games to follow every year. So we don't really know what's going on <laughs> with these players unless we talk to someone like yourself who's fortunate enough to have your eyes on them every day. So thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today, Ed. We really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Take care. And thanks to all of you out there for listening to this edition of our Ace Farm podcast. Be sure to check back in for the next episode. And don't forget that you can always find updates on the A's top prospects and all the news about the A's minor league system on our A's Farm website at athleticsfarm.com. That's athleticsfarm.com. Thanks again. I'm A's Farm Editor-in-Chief Bill Moriarty. We'll see you again down on the farm. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 